Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to be here to preach at Man, man Camp. It was good. I had my first experience to that, and I really enjoyed it. And the pastor's been... I think I'm more manly. I just need some more hair. I think that's what I need. But uh, it is a blessing to be here. I am really looking forward to what uh, the Lord's going to do this morning. I'm thankful for what uh, He did at man camp, even though on Friday night I was preaching in the dark and couldn't see anybody, but everybody listened well, so I'm thankful for that. I want to preach a message this morning that uh, last Sunday morning I preached at Tulsa Baptist Temple and it's not a series. I, I was telling your pastor, there's sometimes that God just arrests your attention and says, Stop! I want you to go over here and I want you to preach this particular passage. And I really felt impressed all week to preach this particular passage. You know the great thing about God, the Holy Spirit? He knows exactly what you need. I don't have a clue. I'm just the messenger. I'm going to preach a message. And I will tell you that this was very helpful to people at our church last week that God used it. And I believe uh, there's somebody here this morning. I don't know who you are, but I believe this is something that God will use you to help you in your individual life. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to begin with two verses. I'm really going to consider the last half of Matthew chapter 18 this morning. And I want to preach to you this morning for just a little bit on this subject, an unforgiving Christian, an oxymoron. Somebody said, what's an oxymoron? Well, it's a combination of words that have opposite meanings. Kind of like this, a Bible-believing liberal. That's an oxymoron. Because if you're Bible-believing, you're not liberal. And an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron because a Christian is supposed to be one that forgives. And so we want to focus on this in this particular passage this morning. Look with me, just two verses to begin with. Verse number 21, Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him, that would be to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. I don't think that number's by accident, by the way. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven, which is not 490 times and then stop forgiving them. We're gonna, I want to preach this this morning, and I ask that the Spirit of God would speak to your heart in this service. Father, we love you today. We are thankful for the people that have come and assembled here in this location today. And thank you for the Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for Pastor Alter. Thank you for what you're doing in the midst of this congregation this morning. And I would simply ask, first of all, that your Holy Spirit would fill me, that you would speak through me today, and that you would help me to communicate the truth in this particular passage to your people. I would pray that for the people of God that are saved and born again, I pray that you would help them to take this passage to their heart today. Could be there could be there's somebody here in this uh, assembly today that, they're dealing and they're struggling with this forgiveness issue. And I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would drive home the truth here in this passage. And then I would pray for anyone that may be here today that is not saved. They do not know you as personal Savior. They have never had their sins forgiven. And I would simply ask that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and show them their need of a Savior in Jesus Christ today. So would you accomplish all that you want to accomplish in this service now, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to state to you this morning that forgiveness is not natural 
to men and women. That's not in our human makeup to be able to forgive someone. And because forgiveness is so foreign to mankind, to our nature, many times people find it very difficult to forgive someone that has done something against them. And yet there is nothing that so characterizes the new nature of the people of God as forgiveness. Well, why is that? Because we're acting like God when we do that. And nothing so characterizes the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, why is that? Because He forgave you before you were ever born. He died for you on the cross of Calvary. He paid for your sins. You know why? Because He loves you. He did that. And so He forgave me. Think about this. He forgave me all my sins before I repented and got saved. It was there. I just had to receive it. And you may be here this morning. You don't know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you the pardon is there. It is there for you to take. So I would encourage you not to reject it today and to receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. Forgiveness reflects the highest human virtue because it so clearly reflects the character of a holy God. And an individual who forgives is an individual who emulates good character. And nothing demonstrates God's love as His forgiveness in our individual lives. A person... Listen to this, a person who does not forgive is a person lacking in godly character and is lacking Christ's love in their life. An unforgiving Christian is a living contradiction to their new nature in Jesus Christ. It's completely foreign to what a child of God ought to be. And forgiveness, let me make sure I say this, forgiveness is the key to spiritual unity in the New Testament church because it is the key to love and it is the key to all meaningful relationships, not only within a home, but also within the context of a New Testament church. And I would even say in the context of where you work and where you live. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not able to get along with someone, if you're not able to forgive them, how can you reflect the nature of Christ in forgiveness? Is everybody with me this morning? So it is very important. It is very important for us to think about this. And let me make sure I say this. I don't want to forget to say this. That unforgiveness is a hindrance to the working of God amongst His people. Now somebody might say, but Brother Rocky, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I've been through. I don't have to know your situation. And I don't have to know all the details in order to preach what we're going to preach this morning. Because I know what my sins did to Jesus Christ. My sins were put on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And so I believe God wants us to be reminded this morning that an individual that is saved truly forgives because they have been forgiven. So I want you to notice here this morning, there are three particular areas that I want to focus on here in verses 21 down through verse number 35. And I want you to understand that an unforgiving Christian truly is an oxy. Moron. Would you notice with me in verse number 21, we read this just a moment ago, and there is an expression about forgiveness. And Peter, he knew something about human nature and how many times people need forgiveness. Now, can I just stand up here and state to you today, there have been many times, many times I've had to go to my wife and said, would you forgive me? You're a preacher, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, I'm a sinner too. And there have been times, Pastor, I've had to go to my children and say, Would you please forgive me? Dad messed up. Is everybody listening? We have to forgive. 
every day sometimes with people in our midst here. And so Peter knew that. And, and sometimes often for the same offense that people do. And so in light of what Jesus had just been teaching, I'm not going to cover this, but in light of what Jesus had just been teaching about discipline in the church in verses 15 through 20, Peter wondered how many times, how many times do, am I obliged as a child of God to forgive someone that has done something against me. They've done something wrong. They've wronged, they've wronged me in some way. How many times do I need to forgive them? In other words, does forgiveness have a limit? Is there a limit to that forgiveness? So he asked the question here, how often shall I forgive? Uh, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter suggested a limit of seven times. Somebody said seven times. Well, seven is the number of perfection. We understand the Word of God. But here's what you need to understand. That was more than twice what was allowed by Jewish tradition. That was more than twice. So I think in Peter's mind, he's thinking, I'm being very magnanimous. Well, why do you say more than Jewish tradition? Well, using references from the book of Amos chapter 1 and into Amos chapter 2, the rabbis had taken a repeated statement by God against the neighboring enemies of the nation of Israel and they made it into a universal law or a universal rule for limiting God's forgiveness and man's forgiveness. And so they thought in their mind, well, if God only forgives three times, I mean, if that's all that God does, they reason that it's unnecessary and would even be presumptuous for us to extend beyond that. Weird thinking. But that's what happens when you don't rightly divide the word of truth, preacher. And so they came up with this idea, you can only forgive three times. And so Peter, I think Peter thought, Jesus, you're probably going to be impressed by my answer seven times because that's more than double what the rabbis taught at this particular time. Now, please listen, compared to the Jewish tradition of that day and time, it was generous. And no doubt it was based upon Peter's growing understanding of Jesus' teaching and personal example of his compassion and mercy to people. So Peter's probably saying, that's a pretty good answer. I can just see Peter doing that. Maybe you don't have imagination. I can just Peter saying, well, in itself, uh, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, seven times. How about that, Jesus? So that was the expression here about forgiveness. But I want you to notice verse number 22. Because in verse number 22, Jesus gives the extent of forgiveness. And I want you to see this this morning. Because understand this. When Peter asked that question, verse 21, please listen to this. He is still thinking like a scribe and a Pharisee. He is still thinking like they think in their day and time. Why is that? Well, he is, he, it, it's the natural inclination, but he was thinking in the measurable and the limited terms of law, not the immeasurable and unlimited terms of grace. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Aren't you glad that when you come back to God as a child of God and you ask for His forgiveness, He doesn't say, tough luck, bud. Aren't you glad that if we confess our sins and confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's not to keep us safe because we already have eternal security. That's to keep us in fellowship with Him. For we need to be in our relationship with Him. And so we understand that we have to do that. And I'm thankful. I am thankful that God forgives me when I come to Him and say, God, I messed up. I sinned. I sinned against you. I didn't do this right. And so law, don't miss this, law keeps count. Grace does not. Doesn't keep count. And so 
by 70 times 7, here's all, here, here's all that Jesus did. He did not mean 490 times. We're going to show that to you in just a second. He didn't mean that. He simply took Peter's number, he multiplied it by itself, and then multiplied it by 10. And he said 490. That's what that adds up to. But here, here, is, the, here is the truth, I think, that Jesus was trying to communicate to Peter, is that this 490 times, that's a, that's a number out here that you can't really keep track of. It is a, let me use this terminology, it really is a limitless number compared to what we're going to see in the rest of the context of what Jesus said. Record keeping is to be considered, uh, is, is not to be considered, and a Christian ought to have a spirit of forgiveness to those who have done them wrong. In a parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17 and verse number 4, Jesus said, Even if brother comes and trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to, to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. That's what Jesus said. Your brother comes seven, seven times a day, messes up, messes up, messes up, messes up. And he comes back and says, I, I, please forgive me, I repent. Jesus said you're supposed to forgive him. So the idea there is people need forgiveness repeatedly. Is everybody with me? So Peter's saying, oh, I thought seven times was great. Jesus said, no, 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 70 times seven, four and nine. A, a limitless number of times that people need forgiveness. So somebody said, Brother Rocky, how do you know it was a limitless number? Because here's the message today. In verses 23 down through verse number 35, Jesus shows us an example of forgiveness. And this is what I want you to see this morning. The rest of this is all kind of introductory here. But it gives us example here of forgiveness. And Jesus introduces this particular parable here. Notice in verse number 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. So the word therefore is a direct response to the question that Peter just asked about forgiving a brother that had done aught against him. He's, asking, he's responding to that. And Jesus is going to illustrate, don't miss this, he's going to illustrate the need for believers to forgive Give each other. That's what he's illustrating. You know why? Because you and I need to be able to forgive other people. Amen. And, and, and let me just cut to the chase here. We're going to preach this. But here's the reason why. Because you and I have been forgiven so much. That's why we forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven so very much. So in this story, in this parable, Jesus presents the attitude of God. This, the, the Lord here is a certain king, and it's concerning forgiveness of and by one of his subjects, the servants. The servant here in this particular story is used for those that would be in submission to a sovereign. And as all ancient monarchies were in that particular day and time, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your rank, if there was a king, you were supposed to be in submission to him. He was your sovereign. And ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you of this. We're all supposed to be in submission to God Almighty because he is the ultimate king of this world. All right, so that was more so in the Jewish mind, the Jewish setting. We don't live in a monarchy and we don't understand that. That's hundreds of years ago. But I'm going to tell you, in the Jewish mind, the Jewish culture, they understood what Jesus was saying. It wasn't anything brand new to them. They understood that servants are subject to their king. All right? So I want you to notice this here. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Look down here at verse number 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, and notice, which would take account of his servants. All right? So this king was going to take account, he is going to call them into question on their stewardship. Now let me remind you that if you're a child of God today, one day you're going to give account of your life to the Lord. And this is not going to be... Please listen. The judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine whether you get to go to heaven. 
that's already settled because on this side you have trusted Jesus Christ. But as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as you come to the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to begin to look at your works. And your motives are also going to be involved in that. And that's going to determine what you did for Jesus Christ. Is it gold, silver, precious stones? Is it wood, hay, stubble? So all of us are going to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. So here is this, here is this servant. Stay with me. Here is this servant who is called into account. And verse number 24, And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know. There's some people that say this could have been a tax-collecting official because of the uh, issues I'm going to bring up here in just a second. It doesn't matter. He's a servant, all right? That's the thing I want you to see. He is a servant here. And so just as 70 times 7, 490 would represent a limitless number of times to forgive somebody, notice how much this man owed. Look here at verse number, uh, verse number 24. Begin to reckon one who was brought to him that owed him how much? 10,000 talents. Now, in our minds, we think 10,000. That's not a big deal. That's, that's, that's not a lot. Well, let me tell you, that represents a lot of money. And let me tell you how much that represents in that particular day and time. From the historical records of that day and time, it is stated that of the four provinces, the Roman government from Idumea, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, the annual revenue that came in to the Roman government from those four provinces, are you ready for this, was 900 talents a year. Somebody said, I don't know if I understand that. Let me help you out. The revenue for the federal government is about, I don't know, two and a half, three and a half trillion dollars. That's a lot. Do you know there are no trillionaires in this world? There are billionaires and the richest man on this planet. I, I used to be Bill Gates. He lost a bunch of money here a while back in the stock market. But I don't think there's anybody that has over $100 billion in this world. So we're talking about 11 years' revenue of money going into the treasury of the Roman government from these four different provinces. So we're talking about 11 years of tax money. Is everybody with me this morning? That's a lot of money. Like what? Oh, let's see. If you take in the tax revenue for the last uh, 11 years in the United States, you're probably talking about $20 trillion. That's a lot of money, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, let me do, I don't have this written down. In fact, do you know that if you could spend a million dollars a day for the rest of your life, you couldn't spend a trillion dollars in 2,000 years? And we owe 19 times that? Anyway, that's a different subject. I'm not off track here. I'm just trying to say to you, 10,000 talents represents a limitless amount of... Of money, please don't miss the don't miss the point that Jesus is trying to make here. And in that, in the particular language here, the Greek language, the word here, ten thousand, it was the largest numerical number that they had in that language. And many times it was used in this day and time to represent a vast, uncountable um, a number. So when we talk about ten thousand, we're talking about lots of money that nobody had. Are you with me? A great, great debt that nobody. Could pay. Now, let me remind you something here very quickly. That Jesus' point in this particular parable was that the man who owed the king these 10,000 talents, he had an unpayable debt that he couldn't pay. He couldn't pay this debt. We're going to get to that in just a moment. He was not able to pay this debt. This debt represents the debt of sin for every man and woman that you owe to God that you are incapable of paying in your own righteousness. 
in your own works, you're not able to pay that debt to the Lord. And so understand this, that when the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict an individual of their sin, that individual is faced with the fact that the extent of their sin is beyond their comprehension. They can't even begin to comprehend it. I have sinned against a thrice holy God. I can never pay Him back. Let me tell you something. When the Spirit of God convicts, you realize, I am a sinner. I do deserve to go to hell. I am not a good person. Come on. I can't earn my way to heaven because I am a great sinner. That's what's supposed to happen before you get saved. You're supposed to realize that you have a sin problem. And unbelievers, think about this. Unbelievers, the people that are lost, they take life from God. And rather than returning to Him and giving Him glory, they spend or invest it on themselves. Is that not what this world does in our day and time? They think nothing about God. They think nothing about His Word. They think nothing about Jesus Christ being the center of their life. It's all about themselves. They spend it on themselves. They spend on what they want and what they want to do. And I want to remind you, That life is a stewardship from God to be used for His glory. And unbelievers take that life from God and they spend it upon themselves. So every sin that is committed against God, and every every sin that we commit is committed against God, and every sin is committed in His sight. Let's see, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So God sees everything. And you may think, nobody knows what I'm doing over here in the corner. God sees it. God knows. And God is aware of everything that goes on in your life. And so this this particular servant here, at this particular time, he represents those that are unbelievers. They have this unpayable debt. They're unable to pay it. There's only one thing they can do. Please listen. Ask for mercy from God. And fall upon him. So look at verse 25 very quickly. For, but for as much as he had not to pay. Did you see that? He had not to pay. He could not pay this debt. It was beyond his capability. His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Understand that is the state of bankrupt sinners. They have nothing they can give to God. Your righteousness, according to Isaiah 64, verse number 6, is nothing but a filthy rag in his sight. I, the best I can do is no good to a holy God. I can't please God with what I can do. I am spiritually bankrupt before I get saved. And so the, the, the punishment here, don't miss this, the punishment here reminds us of hell where condemned men and women and boys and girls that do not accept Jesus Christ, where they will spend eternity in hell because they did not have their sins paid for through the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So it reminds us of this. And so, ladies and gentlemen, here is this man. He cannot pay. The the judgment has been uh, spoken against him. And he's in trouble. And I'm here to tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ's Savior, you're in trouble with God today. Because the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10, that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And then he says down in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how good you are, no matter how religious, no matter how many rights you can do, as what you think you can do for God, you all come short of the glory of God. Start right here with Rocky Hero. I came short of the glory of God as a seven-year-old young boy. I couldn't get to heaven. And no one else can either. Because we are spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. So look at verse 26. Look at this. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will repay thee all. 
His falling down and worshiping the king here was an act, listen, of total submission, of throwing himself completely on the mercy of the king. When you realize you're a sinner and you realize you deserve to go to hell and you realize you can't save yourself and you realize Jesus Christ loved you and died for you as your substitute on the cross of Calvary made atonement for your sins and shed His blood for you, all you can do is say, God, please be merciful to me. Please have compassion. I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. Can I tell you? Can I tell you? When you do that, there can be some compassion. And there can be some salvation that is extended to you when an individual humbles himself and confesses their sin to God and God can show mercy upon them. And every one, listen, every sinner, I should say this, should ought to to be overwhelmed by their sin as this man was overwhelmed by his debt that he could not pay. Now, would you notice there in the last part of verse number 26, look at this. He said, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, impossible as that prospect was, he begged for a chance to be able to make it right. And as faulty as his understanding was, can I tell you, please listen, I think he had the right attitude, even though he couldn't do it. Because see, when you realize that you can't pay your debt, you want to try to, and you get saved, you you do want to try to do right. I'll just tell you, and I'm not trying to be unkind to anybody, but I just have a problem looking at the Bible, people saying they got saved and they still want to do the same old things they've always done all their life and there's no change in their mind or their actions about what really happened to them. I have a problem with that. And I don't have a problem with it. I think God has a problem with it. Because when people in the Bible, they didn't become super Christians on the day they got saved, they begin to grow. But I'll tell you this, when Paul got saved, he didn't keep on killing people. There was a change that took place in his life. And so even though this man's understanding was a little faulty, I think his attitude was right because when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of sin, you may want to do better. You may want to turn over a new leaf. You want to may have a reformation in your life. But I'm going to tell you, that's not enough. You need Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and to make an atonement for you on the cross of Calvary. So look at verse 27. Look at this. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. Man... Aren't you glad that the day you got saved, God was moved with compassion and gave you salvation and forgiveness of sins? And notice this. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's good. Because listen to me. When I got saved as a seven-year-old boy, my sins were forgiven. I received the substitute. I received the sacrifice. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And I was loosed, just like this man here, I was loosed and my debt was forgiven and I became a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that all took place because this man humbled himself and asked for compassion. And that's what happens to anybody where they get saved. They humble themselves and they repent and they receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You know what? He'll forgive you your sin debt and He'll loose you. He'll make you a brand new creature. That's a blessing. I am so thankful for that. But then there's a turn. Because in verse number 28, now notice this, and I don't, I don't want to say something that's not here in the Bible, but look at verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. Now the implication is, the implication is that the first thing this forgiven servant did is went out and found somebody that owed him some money and said, you want, I want you to pay me what you owe me. Stay with me. 
The implication is this is the first thing that he did. He found a fellow servant and he abused him. He, he acted violently towards him and he demanded repayment of a mere pittance compared to the amount that he'd just been forgiven. Now, a hundred pence in that culture represented about a hundred days' wage for the average Roman worker in that day. So a, a little over three months' wages for an individual. That is a very small sum compared to 10,000 talents. Is that correct? Let me ask you this. Even though a man couldn't repay 10,000 talents, do you think somebody could pay back 300 pence? That's a doable... Come on. That's a doable amount. It's not undoable. It's a very doable amount in this particular day and time. And so understand this, that this man that has been forgiven this great sin debt, this 10,000 talents, he has been loosed. He goes out and he finds a fellow servant that owes him a little over three months wages, a hundred pence, and says, pay me that thou owest. There's something incongruent about that. There's something that's just not quite right about that in this man's life here. Would you notice, look here at verse number... uh, Verse number uh, uh, 29. Oh, he took him by the throat. There's the violence. Pay me that thou Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Notice, that's what the guy said in verse 26. It was forgiven all this debt. Almost verbatim. And yet when this man made his fellow servant, when he made this statement in verse number 29, would you notice that there is no compassion... Would you notice that there is no mercy here? Would you notice that there's no sympathy for this man? Now, excuse me, he wanted the sympathy when he wanted to be forgiven his 10,000 talents. Is that right? Absolutely. And here's the man asking for it. and He won't do it. So look at verse 30. And he would not. You know what that means? He don't want to. He would not. What did he do? but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I want you to think about something here. How's this man going to pay this debt if he's in prison? There's somebody not thinking here. And I know Jesus is trying to make a point here through this particular parable, but don't, don't miss this. So this man was grossly insensitive to his fellow brother. He abused him. He imprisoned him for this debt and a, so, a very little debt to pay. And someone has called this a moral monstrosity because here's a man that's been forgiven so much and he can't even forgive a little bit for someone that has done him wrong, that has not done him right. And so, can I say this to you this morning? that those of us who have been totally and graciously and permanently forgiven by God, we have a responsibility to forgive those that do wrong against us. That's where we're coming to here in just a second. And why is that? Because I have the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I have the divine nature inside of me. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I still don't have a sin nature. But I have the nature of Christ in me. I have the Spirit of God that indwells me. Of all people, I ought to be able to extend forgiveness to those that have wronged me because I have experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of God in my own individual life. And by the way, just before I forget, I want to make sure I say this, that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Excuse me, you know God forgave me for Christ's sake? And if he did that, then I ought, to, I ought at least be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving 
Because that's what Jesus Christ did for me. Are you with me this morning? That's what he did for me. So look very quickly. We're getting there. Look at verse number 31 real quick. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told uh, unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, Look at this, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. So these other people in this story, they saw, man, this guy's been forgiven a lot. He can't even forgive a hundred pence here. They go and tell the king. King brings him in and said, you're a wicked servant. Now, I want you to think about this here just real quick. The sin of unforgiveness in some ways is even more wicked in a believer. Why is that? Because the believer has infinitely greater motivation and power to be forgiving than a person who has never experienced the grace and mercy of God. I've got the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of me. I've experienced His salvation. I should be able to do that. How? Listen to this. How can an individual accept God's mercy for all their sins, for an unpayable debt that they could never pay, accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and then not be able to forgive others of a small debt against them? That, again, that's incongruent. Does it go? Is everybody with me? That doesn't work. So... Look at verse number 34 and 35. I didn't read verse 33. Go back up there. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as, even as I had pity on thee? Brother Rocky, you don't know what somebody did to me. Do you know what you did to Jesus? Do you know he extended forgiveness to you? Because he loves you? And he expects you to extend that forgiveness when people come and ask for forgiveness. So look here, verse 34 and 35. Look at this. And his Lord was wroth. He was angry. And delivered him to the what? Say it again. Not the executioner. He delivered him to the tormentors. Why? Till he should pay all that was due unto him. That is, listen, that is until he had a change of heart and forgave his offending brother, which is what the king wanted him to pay in the first place. Forgive. Forgive. When the people of God, when believers forget their own divine forgiveness from God, when they refuse to extend human forgiveness to fellow believers, are you listening to me? The Lord gives them over to the tormentors. Somebody says, what is that? I don't know. It could be hardships. It could be stress. It could be all kind of difficulties that people go through in their life. It could be pressure brought to bear upon them in their individual life. I'm thinking right now of some people that I know, and and I'm not the Holy Ghost of God, and I don't know the motives of their heart, and I don't know everything they're going through. But I'm going to tell you, I do know a couple of things, and I know a couple of things, and here's what I know. If you're unwilling to shake hands with somebody at the house of God, you got a problem. And as I look at this family, I'm just telling you, it's it's uncanny all the things they've went through in their life. Is everybody listening to me this morning? It's uncanny all the things that happened to them in their life. I'm not even going to detail it for you this morning. I'm just saying it's very uncanny. So look at verse 35. Let me bring you to a conclusion. So likewise shall my... So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. You see, the unforgiving believer 
will only satisfy God by offering His own forgiveness to those that have wronged Him. So I want to make sure I say this here. I don't want to forget this. Please listen to this very closely. Jesus Christ is not, capital N, capital O, capital T, Jesus is not speaking here of the forgiveness that brings salvation, saying the only way you can be saved is forgive other people. That's not what He's talking about here. He's not even close to what He's talking about here. He is saying that because you are a believer, And because you have been saved, you ought to be able to extend forgiveness to someone else that has wronged you. Now, now listen, and this is so. Tune in for just about five minutes and less, and I'll be done. But listen to this: to forgive is not necessarily to forget. It's not. Although the truly forgiving person will refuse to dwell on an offense, you know there are sometimes that things will happen and you'll think about it? Oh yeah, I remember what they did. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. Forgiveness, you don't keep harping on it. You don't keep thinking about it. No, you're a human being, I'm a human being, but I don't go through life, I try not to go through life, Pastor, and just think, yeah, they did me wrong. But there's sometimes, oh yeah, they did. But I don't dwell on it. You know what happens when you dwell on it? You get bitter. And I'm going to tell you, bitterness can be a bigger problem to some people than what actually happened to you in the first place. Because it begins to work on you, begins to smolder on the inside. And let me make sure I say this here. I don't want to forget to say this. Listen to this. Forgiveness does not involve excusing a sin. So we're not talking about excusing sin and sweeping under the carpet. No, sin is always sin and true love and mercy will never make sin out to be anything other than sin. It always is sin. has to be. But forgiveness does involve ending the bitterness, the anger, the resentment that not only that we can hold on to but can have an effect upon our individual lives because we continue to think and we continue to dwell on it. Listen to this. Heart forgiveness is not possible for the child of God in his or her own power. You can't do it in your own strength. You're going to have to allow the Spirit of God to help you in his strength. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit that indwells you, and the indwelling Holy Spirit can help you to be able to forgive someone, not in your strength, but in his strength. And genuine forgiveness, I want to say this again, is not natural. It is not natural. It's supernatural. Because only God can do that through you. And as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, we are, we are able not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, which, among other things, is to hold a grudge rather than to forgive. So let me say this, because this is something the Spirit of God impressed upon my heart. I didn't preach this last week, what I'm going to say now. But I, feel, I felt impressed just to say this. That granting forgiveness does not, please listen, granting forgiveness does not necessarily mean removing all the consequences of what's happened. David was forgiven, ladies and gentlemen, but he had a lot of consequences that went with that. I think we all know that. Biblical forgiveness, listen to this, is a quick decision. Biblical forgiveness is a quick decision. The restoration of trust usually takes a lot longer. 
So let's say you're Aiden, right? Let's say, uh, Brother Patrick, somebody beats up Aiden and abuses him or whatever. Beats him up, hurts him. How about you? You want me to beat you up? He's laughing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And the person that beats him up comes to Brother Patrick and says, Brother Patrick, would you, would you forgive me? The scripture response is, yes, if you repent, I forgive you. But that doesn't mean, please listen, that doesn't mean he's going to let his son go out and do whatever this guy wants to do. That would be foolish. So understand that when we grant forgiveness, that doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory, everything's reconciled. It does not mean that. It means I've forgiven you. Now you're going to have to prove your trust in me to put trust in you again. Is everybody with me on that this morning? I want to make sure I say that. That's so very important. And there could be somebody here this morning in this service. It could be. I don't know. It could be there's somebody here this morning and you're struggling with this thing called forgiveness. And it may not have... Please listen. It may not have to do with anybody in this church. It may have something to do with somebody in your family or somebody you work with or somebody you live around. And they have offended you and they've done something wrong to you and I just can't get past this. Can I tell you? You can't do it in your own strength. But remember this. You have been forgiven so much... Surely you can forgive what somebody's done against you. I'll close with this. I preached this last Sunday morning. And my daughter-in-law, who's married to my son, who's in the military, was sitting there. And I didn't know all this was going on. But I mean, as soon as I gave the invitation, she came to the altar. And she told me later, she said, I couldn't wait for you to get through preaching. She said, my heart was pounding out of my chest. Because I have, listen, I have unforgiveness and bitterness towards my dad. And I know it, please listen, and I know it's not right. That's the correct response, ladies and gentlemen. That's the correct response. And, and let me say this. If you're not right this way with people, you can't be right this way with God. It's incongruent. doesn't work. An unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes and thank you so much for your attention to the Word of God this morning.